Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 108, Questions from Non-Linux Users, recorded August 18th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. I know I promised you last week a guest whom I secretly hate, uh, but apparently he found out that I secretly hate him and refused to come on the show. That or there was a scheduling conflict. I'll let you choose what you want to believe. Uh, but hopefully we'll have him back next week. So uh, we scrambled together this show, uh, courtesy of the command line Godfather, and uh, he uh, solicited questions from people he knows who are non-Linux users, and we're going to try to answer questions from non-Linux users. But before we go too far, before I even ad- address, uh, introduce the co-hosts, first thing I want to do is apologize for the content of last week's show. I, I realize that we probably offended a great number of people, and I want to just uh, get this uh, out in the open. Uh, last week's show had entirely too much Linux content, and I, and I apologize for that. As I was listening back to it, I realized that almost everything we discussed was Linux-related, and I knew that that was just uh, a terrible thing, and we had to come on the air and and do a public apology for that. I'm sorry that there was so much Linux in last week's episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs> And <laughs> having said that, let me welcome my giggling co-host, beginning with the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hello, everyone, and how is it this weekend? Good to have you back, brother. And alongside him, uh, flanking in a in a supporting position. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, you failed it that one, It gets harder Mark. every week to come up with something. The gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the party. So that's it this week, Mark. Just welcome it. to the party. That's all you got. It is. It, it is a party. We have already begun. But parties party. are fun, so why not? And it's the last. It's the the end of party time because school uh, for pretty much everybody in the country will have started within the next week or so. My kids have been gone back already for three weeks. They're starting their third Holy. week of school. Wow, my kids wow. don't have to go to school till next week. I think. Hold on. What what is today? (laughs) No, they. It's the twenty eighth. The twenty eighth is when my kids go back to school. Isn't that crazy? Well, you know, Canada does have some different school calendars than uh, the rest of North America. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. Us Southern Canadians or Montana, as everyone else like would know. (laughs) And uh, you know, just this is my second summer outside the realm of education and it's it's weird because for you know 15 years my life revolved around those 10 weeks that's that's when you do all your work uh not that you don't work the rest of the year but that's when you're really just uh f- pedal to the metal giving it all you got uh, working 17 18 hour days because you have such a narrow amount of time to do so much work and yep. at least where i i worked it was not um uncommon to to lose a week because they were waxing the floors and you couldn't get in the building. Like they, yep. they literally put chains on the doors so that people with keys couldn't get in anyway. They put a chain and a padlock on the doors when they were waxing it. Uh, so and you, sometimes dang. they even told you beforehand when they were going to wax, yeah, didn't they? Not always. Yeah. Uh, right. So between the several buildings, there'd be a week at this building and a week at that building and a week at that building. And so you know, out of ten weeks, you lose four or five weeks of effectiveness because you have to work around that. And and so if on my schedule, I'm like, okay. In this building, we're going to replace three labs this week. I've got everybody all lined up. Oh, by the way, we're waxing the floors that week. You can't get in there. <laughs> time, to, time to panic and reschedule. Uh, so I, I had that sort of stuff happen. So now, you know, I'm, I'm in the healthcare field. 
The only thing that changes in the summer is that it's hotter. Uh, otherwise, you just go on with life as normal. So it's it's been a weird adjustment. Um, you know, the the traffic got thicker when school started back on my commute, but otherwise, it was a non-event to me. Jeez, that'd be right. nice. I'm tired of working my tail feathers off for three weeks or three months and then having to coast for the next nine. It drives me nuts. <laughs> so, Chris, have you been? Have you got any interesting uh, projects that you put in place this summer at your school? Uh, actually, yeah, we're working on a five-year major rework of the entire network. Basically, uh, this is the first year for us, so we're doing um, a lot of backbone work. So we're doing a Wi-Fi solution. Um, hopefully, Arrowhive will be the people we end up going with because they have a the most features for the price, at least from what we've been able to see so far. Um, but it'll be in four buildings for every student to have access to K through senior. Cool. Yeah. The, 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 the nice thing about it is it automatically hands off between rooms. So if you uh, are walking down the hallway with a tablet or a laptop or whatever, it seamlessly changes off without losing your connections. Well, that's that's yeah, how Aero, it's supposed Aero to. Arrowhive is cool. Yeah, that that's the promise of Wi-Fi and, and networking in general, but it almost never actually works that way. My cell phone t- connections don't always hand off seamlessly like they're supposed to. Well, yeah, but it's better than what we're doing now, where it's independent, you know, cheap Linksys boxes oh, yeah. here and there, and that at least to be able to manually configure to be able to configure them all within one place will be the best thing. Because right now I have to touch all the different access points at once if I want to change SSID or whatever. Yeah, the the way we handled that was only slightly better. We had a bunch of independent access points, but they all, all had the same SSID. So you could at least move from place to place. But, uh, you know, there was no management. Uh, yeah. See, the way we do it now is everyone has their own unique um, SSID but every machine is group policied with the SSID and keys already. So I, I group policied that. So then at least all that information stays, but it doesn't, it's not seamless, but it was pretty, it was cool when I set it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That probably took a long time to set up too. Yeah. A couple of days, but that's right. That's the type of work I did during the summer or during the school time is find a project that, I can't do during the summer because it's too big and then tinker on it for nine months till I have it fixed and ready. And then I deploy it during the summer. Yeah. So in case you heard that, I don't know what, what came over on the recording and what didn't, uh, my dog is either, uh, protecting us from a, uh, an intruder or the wind blew a leaf outside. It's equal chances <laughs> of either. Uh, she just totally went nuts upstairs, barking as if as if somebody is trying to attack our firstborn. Uh, but I suspect it's just a matter of a squirrel or a chipmunk. I, I <laughs> never seen a chipmunk till I moved to Atlanta, and they're everywhere here. So, uh, but there is, uh, as long as I'm de- breaking the show, there's this this I don't know if it's a stray cat or a neighbor cat. I don't know what it is, but there's this cat who loves to sit right in front of the the window in our dining room. And just stare at the dog. And it's just, it's like fun for her. Because the dog is ah, just snarling and, and literally leaping at the glass and trying to get out. And the cat just sits there with the tail wrapped around the legs, just watching. 
And he'll yawn a couple of times and slowly wander away and then come back a little later to do the same thing. You know, not chasing, just staring at the dog. That's just what the cat likes to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I hate cats, but that's funny. It's like a yeah. it's like a zoo for cats. <laughs> oh, look at the dog. <laughs> it's like another Just don't feed the dogs. Yeah. Another proof of the fact that cats are evil. <laughs> um, so I do want to mention uh one other thing. Uh I mentioned that I was having a, a whirlwind trip to uh, Texas last week uh for a family uh, uh funeral. And I did get some feedback from the community about that. And uh, first off, thank you for for your condolences. But secondly, um, I did not expect driving, just sitting behind the wheel, to be as grueling as it turned out to be. Now, when I was 20, I used to do this kind of stuff all the time. We would drive you know, to central Oklahoma to see a, a band we liked play and drive back. You know, And that was 16 hours round trip. I did... Um, Two 12-plus-hour trips in, in, in two days, and then about uh, three or four hours of driving on the day in between. And when I came back, I felt like I had gone 15 rounds with the champ. My whole body hurt. I was just, I came back Thursday, and then Friday happened to be a fairly busy day at work. I, was, I worked like a 12-hour day, and by the time I got home, I was just dead. My, my four-year-old was out on the bike, Daddy, will you play with me? I can't, honey. I love you, but I just... I can't. I have to go fall down now. So uh, it's, just, it's just evidence of the fact that I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that has to do with you're by yourself for those that, that whole trip time. Yeah. And, we, you know, when you're younger, you had a group of people going with you. So then it was the whole entertainment fun thing. Yeah, maybe. But I drove, uh, I, I, I recorded 1,780 miles, I think it was, something of, of those Jeez. Uh, lines and i stopped only twice each way when i ran out of gas i stopped and i would pee and i would eat and then i would go and do it again so uh it was just a lot of sitting and driving and um almost died only twice which you know in a trip that big isn't too bad <laughs> the, the yeah death. i normally almost die twice on each way of my commute so that's that's not bad at all <laughs> And, uh, there's the, when you, there, there are really only two instructions, uh, on how to get from Atlanta to Dallas. Um, there's, uh, take, uh, uh, 75 until you get to 285, take 285 to 20. That's it. Those are the instructions. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and there's, uh, there's a, uh, a loop that goes around Birmingham, 459, I think it is. And so I went around that because it was right around traffic time. So I, I pull off uh, of 459 onto 20. My GPS says, continue forward for 597 miles. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's like a punch in the gut to hear that. Oh, at least. You're like, but I've been going so long already. <laughs> at least. Oh. <laughs> it's like there, there are no more instructions. Just Just stay in this lane for 500 yeah. miles. Okay, any update? Nope. Continue straight. (laughs) Continue forward. You're not the best navigator in the business for nothing. I did have something interesting. I mean, you know, Google Maps recently updated their Android thing, and they, uh, Seth, uh, I don't know if you, you're, you're an an iPhone guy now. No, wait. I know that you had an iPhone with your, anyway. 
The, yeah, I have an iPhone now as well okay. through work. So. so the most recent Android update, just in the last couple of weeks, took away the navigation button. Um, and it's huh. all rolled into Google Maps now, uh, which is, it's a little clunkier to get to. But so I'm driving along and I heard something I've never heard before. I, there was uh, traffic ahead and the thing popped up and said, boop, um, alternate route detected. And I looked at the display and it showed uh, heavy traffic and it said uh, alternate route would save you nine minutes. Do you want to accept? Yes or no? Okay. I clicked yes. And so it had me take the next exit. And that's that's a new feature. I've never had to do that before, which is kind of cool. So it's taking me through residential areas and around out in the boonies. And I'm thinking, man, I don't really know if this is going to save me nine minutes. It feels like I've been here a long time. But, you know, if I, if I'm sitting in traffic for 30 minutes, it's easy to get nine minutes back. And so... Just as, you know, I'm about to get on the interstate, I can see the interstate ahead, I look off to my right, and there's a Krispy Kreme donut with the hot now light on. So whether I saved nine minutes or not, that detour was a win, because I got hot Krispy Kreme <laughs> donuts out of it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's worse things in life than a good hot Krispy Kreme donut. So I would have missed that uh, had it not been for the uh, the detour. So I- I'm actually uh, wondering if I can program that into uh, the turn-by-turn directions now to automatically take me by any Krispy Kreme. Uh, Might be interesting. There's got to be a way to do that. Krispy so, Kreme, uh, you know, there's, there you go. <laughs> Make an app for that, and you'll be making money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, Krispy Kreme app or something. So automatically automatically route to any Krispy Kreme that is no more than 100 miles out of the way. (laughs) And that is scheduled for fresh donuts to come out. There you go. Right. Okay, here's, while we're on the subject and completely derailing the show, uh, here's my idea for an app. I need somebody out there who's a good programmer to make this happen. And I'll give you the the millions that will come from it. I just want the app. I want a podcast playing app, and I may have talked about it on this show before. I know I did on Tightwad Tech. A podcast app that that has all the standard features of a podcatcher that you know you put an RSS feed in there, it goes and automatically downloads. It does all that sort of stuff. Even the 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 one X and two X speed playback, you know, great. Do all of that sort of stuff. But here's what I want: I want a built-in social commenting feature that is time coded, so that while the, the podcast is playing, I can type in a comment, and then anybody else listening to that same podcast, it'll check back with the central server and look at all the comments on the time codes. And I'll be able to see a visual indicator that somebody commented on that statement, and I'll be able to add to it. It's all, uh, of course, way out of sync, out of time, but think of the value that a podcast gains over time as more and more people listen to it. So if you download something a month later, you now not only have the content of the show, but all of these comments going back and forth, uh, adding value to the show while you're listening. And I, it would be fairly simple programming. Uh, it, the database couldn't wouldn't have to be very big. All you'd need is a time code and you know the text you know make it a twitter like give it 140 characters something like that i just think that would be an amazing uh social podcasting uh experience somebody needs to make that happen yeah that would be cool i think we've talked about that on this show actually cuz i remember the discussion of that before but maybe i was just listening to the tight white tech could be it's hard to say so i'm just i'm going to keep bringing it up until somebody does it and i'm telling you it's a multi-million dollar idea at least for the podcast you know well yeah, well, you know, like, uh, Life Church put out, you know, they put out the version app where you can see access to Bibles and download some right. online. And then if you're signed in, you can access people's notes or, you know, there'll be a, 
thing where somebody's made a note on that and you can look at it. So it's somebody has done that right. in a different setting. So it probably wouldn't be too hard, said the guy who can, you know, <laughs> not code at all. So, but and sure, somebody, let me tell you how easy it is for someone else to do. Since phones have all these sensors, you could even limit a range. You know, show me people in my, you know, 150 mile radius so that you can get the local flavor about something or show show me people in my Google Plus cir- circles or people in my Facebook friend. You know, you could give it access to those things. These are all APIs that exist. Um. Right. So we could have the the Element OP community communicating with each other about the show, just like we have the chat room now, but it'd be like an asynchronous chat room that everybody could take part in. I just think that would be, awesome. be cool. Yeah. That would be really neat. Wouldn't that break some things if they, they had geolocation and they were traveling? Well, you know, you could, that actually could be more interesting because you, as you travel, you'd see comments show up that weren't there before. Yeah. And you'd, okay. you'd get yeah. to see what, you know, what Northerners think about our show and what Southerners think about our show. Or or you could, you know, you don't have to do that. I just think that would be an extra layer. Well, yeah, and Google does the thing where they figure out where your home is by, you know, where your phone stays at night all the time. So you could have the option to either do go. people's location or their base. So, uh <laughs> Okay, back to the show notes. Around the house from the outside in, Seth. Yeah, that was, um, I actually did like yard work this week. I burned stuff that was fun. And then today I got to fix a sink drain. So it's nice to know that all those skills I hated my dad for teaching me years and years ago (laughs) are still there to pull out in memory uh, as I need them. So, you know, a nice little washer is all it took to fix a linky drain. So, yay, I can still do home repair. (laughs) <laughs> the house that we're renting, the, the the plastic rubber flap that goes on the garbage disposal is worn away. And so when you turn the garbage disposal on, water shoots up, just little like drops of it shoots up out of the, the disposal. And literally the week we moved in here, I went to the hardware store and bought another one of those for like eight bucks. And I got to look at it. I was like, oh, man, I got to pull all the plumbing out, pull the garbage disposal out, take the drain out, put this in. It's still been sitting there. Over a year, sitting right next to the sink, because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much work. I'm like, you know, a few sprays of water here and there, it's not that big a deal. Oh, you could just yeah, go to the- so water is good for you. <laughs> you could just go buy one of those uh, rubber seat covers that cover the hole, and you don't have to worry about yeah, it at all. But if you're stuffing things like, you know, banana peels or whatever in the disposal oh. while it's running, you can't really do that. Right, right. Okay. Just shoot <laughs> holes in my thoughts there. Jeez, thanks. Um, anyway, it's uh, <laughs> just the random things that we talk about. So all you people who were uh, offended by all the Linux content last week, you're in good shape this week. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> yeah, there's several Linux stories, but I did try to spread them out some so they wouldn't show up all at once. <laughs> uh, and Chris, you want to do this family day one? Sure, I could do that because it, it ties into the whole school thing. Um Awesome. So since since I live so far out of you know in the boondocks and no one ever knows where I am, uh, we have to drive like out of state is a close you know like across state lines to get to an actual Walmart or a mall. Wow. Yeah. Because well, it, it's like two hours one way gets you to the, a Walmart and a Super Kmart, or two hours across state lines gets you to a mall and a Super Walmart. 
So we chose to go two uh, two hours outside the state and uh, spend our well earned money buying school supplies. Which, if anybody has ever taken a two, uh, a kindergartner and let's see a seventh grader school supply shopping, you know how much fun that is. But uh, yeah, and, and of course then, then there's the road trip the entire time with the kindergartner going. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um. But it was all fun and games, and then uh, we were at dinner, <laughs> and because of course so you get your eye shot out. Oh well, no, what, my kids are very well behaved in, in a in a large dining establishment. But I have because I've traveled abroad, uh, like with foreign language people, I end up talking with my hands considerably that I never used to do. So. Like the other day, I asked for the check, and this lady that was waiting on us had limited. It seemed like limited English to me, and so I was like, "I need the check," you know. <laughs> she goes, "Oh, the check! Yes, one second, and ran off to go get it. I'm like, and my wife, of course, then braids me the entire ride home, going, "Did you realize you just asked for the check and symboled the square box?" I went, "No, I didn't even see it, but thanks for making me feel stupid." Yeah, see, here's what I'm thinking when I see you do. He did the, you know, the L7 with his finger. I'm thinking, why not do a check mark in the air? That makes a lot more sense than, than the than pantomiming a piece of paper. I know that, that that's my thing though. But you, that's my point. <laughs> I didn't realize I did this, and my wife berated me for two and a half hours that I have all of a sudden started talking with my hands, considering I never talked with my hands before I met her, and now I do excessively well you you know you should have just said she's only berating me two hours so far because i <laughs> doubt that particular beratement is over that's just how long the trip was that's still, right it's yeah. still the rest of your married life together oh yeah I, I'm, I'm sure she'll have more and more ammo to shoot at me but then i can shoot at least shoot back and not have to worry about you know wrecking a car or something <laughs> All right, moving on to the listener feedback. We've only got a couple this week. Uh, Mike has a series of questions, and it's a rather long thing, and he probably didn't even mean for it to be read on the air, but there were only two, so I had to put it in there. (laughs) He says, hey, guys, firstly, thanks for reading my email out a few episodes back. Made my day. Well, here we go, Mike. We're doing it again. Awesome. Having made my comment about failing to get anywhere with my Raspberry Pi, I thought you might be interested to hear about the recent developments. Maybe not. I don't know. I downloaded the Noobs software, best name ever, by the way, uh, which is fantastic, and jumped in. I installed Raspbian, enabled SSH, and I was off. SSH really does rock. Told you. Little command line love. My plan all along was to turn my Pi into a backup machine. I've got an oldest 250 gigabyte USB drive plugged into it, which is a good start. You'll be pleased, if not impressed, to hear that I've now got all that sorted. Plus, I don't mind having leaving the Pi switched on and headless because I've got I've put fail to ban on there as well. And yes, I've switched UPnP off on my router settings. Chris, you want to give people a quick uh, um, primer on what fail to ban is? Fail to ban is a, uh, I'm going to call it a daemon or a service that runs and when it sees a failed uh, so whatever your limits are, if you say, if you miss your password three times at ban, you can't log in anymore from that IP. So it, it bans the IP address. Um, deny host is the same idea. Fail to ban and deny host are, are similar pro- 
products that do the same thing. So he's thinking he's pretty safe there. Anybody tries to poke at his machine, they're going to get blocked at the IP level. Sounds pretty yep. good to me. Moving on. Part two of my plan was is what has me stopped. I currently use CrashPlan on my Windows box to back up important files to a friend's PC. I found a guide that explains how to get CrashPlan working on a Pi without sending it uh, to a crushing halt. Uh, the key is to use Java 8, which is currently a preview slash beta version, because it supports hard float stuff. I followed it through, uh, including the uh, editing the OK Java and install.sh and amending the path. But no matter what I do, the crash plan installer does not recognize that I've got Java installed. It keeps prompting me to install Java 7 instead, which would be slow. Having listened to EDL for a while now, I'm wondering if one of the crucial Java files needs a, uh, a chmod plus x or something. Unfortunately, I don't really know where to start. Do you think I'm on the right track? So we'll stop there and answer that. I suspect that the uh, the installer for CrashPlan is hard-coded looking for a specific version of Java, which is not uncommon at all. No. And that's, that's without without figuring out what that is and changing that part of the code, you're never going to get to recognize Java 8. Yeah. That's, I would guess so, too. Unless there's a way to edit the config file for the, uh, the CrashPlan installer to look to that other um, location that you change you that you were working on, um, that might be easier than trying to do anything else. Or he could do a, uh, a hard link to hard link to the Java file that he's looking for. We have a comment in the chat room. We'll get there in a minute. Um, uh, okay, moving on. Arc. Alternately, I could forget CrashPlan and convince someone to set up another Raspberry Pi the same as my own. Then we can mount drives either way. I nearly put map drives in there and copy files between them. The great thing about this is it doesn't involve Java, let alone beta versions of it. However, I suspect I'm going to have some fun and games with firewalls and routers, which sounds painful to me. Any top tips? Uh, we have uh, a comment nightstar in the chat room says why not use bt sync instead of crash plan uh and i think he answered your question there nightstar he doesn't want to deal with firewalls he wants an outside service that uh that handles the connection and mm -hmm. i know something i don't bt sync doesn't do that um so i i don't have any suggestions um i would uh. probably do something like uh like what you're talking about just uh, you know, Dropbox ish or something like that. Uh, CrashPlan really is the tool for that, but I think just I think the issue is you got the wrong tool on the wrong hardware. CrashPlan is a great tool, a Pi is a great tool, but trying to shoehorn one into the other, I think is is always going to be problematic. Yeah, I I think you're right, Mark. There, the only thing that you might want to try is um instead of doing a Raspberry Pi headless. Just go get a really cheap, low-powered like netbook, and make that do your 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 crash plan backups, because then you have a Linux install which they fully support, and you're still getting the low power consumption that you're you know already looking for. I haven't done any research on this at all, but I, that there might be a pre-installed, pre-configured uh, uh, crash plan Raspberry Pi package out there. You know, if it's something that people are doing. Somebody may have already packaged that up. I'd suggest having a look at that if you haven't already. Um, 
Okay, moving on to the rest of his email. It says, Mark, did you try Smart Wi-Fi Toggler? Just curious if that did the trick from you. Actually, I think I heard about it on An- the Android Central podcast. There's also an article about it on Lifehacker 2. And he says, wow, this is longer than I planned. Still thoroughly enjoying the show, so you're doing something right. Thanks, guys. All the very best, Mike. So thanks for the email, Mike. Uh, no, I didn't try a smart Wi-Fi toggler. I tried a root-only hack and disabled that from the list of SSIDs, which then every time my phone rebooted, disabled all the Wi-Fi, and I had to go do it again. So, no, currently I don't have a solution for not automatically connecting to McDonald's and AT&T Wi-Fi. So I need to go try smart Wi-Fi toggler and stop procrastinating. So, Mark, when you're listening (laughs) to this show back, go do that. There you go. (laughs) The other thing that he could try is um, copy.com has a crash plan-esque place he could use. With a, it has a Linux install that should be able to run. It's just a bin file. So there would be another a, a alternative location. Um, I haven't had a chance to fully vet the uh, terms of service, but that would be another idea. And, you know, the the uh, we talked about it two or three or four weeks ago, the plug project, which isn't ready yet. You know, just hold your horses for a little bit. Somebody's already solved this problem. If, if I remember, that was only like 30 bucks for the hardware. And it was designed to do that very thing. So uh, maybe you're just ahead of your time, Mike. <laughs> it's possible. And then we have one other listener feedback from Stuart. It's not really listener feedback. He's asking for a favor. He says, Dear all at EDL, I've been listening to your wonderful show for a little while, and I love your great roundtable style, and the classic Boris Box episode is timeless. <laughs> I listen to your podcast on my iPad Nano video of which I administer podcast music, audiobooks, etc., with GTK Pod. And I've noticed that when I upload your podcast, it disappears into an unknown album section. To fix this, I manually add EDL to the album tag. So here comes the question. Selfish, I know. Would it be possible for you to add EDL to the album tag so it would play nice within my MP3 player, please? Thanks, Stuart. Sure, Stuart. Already done. Uh, I have a a template file that I use for that. I just added, I didn't put EDL, I put Everyday Linux in the album tag. So the next, this show will show up with an album. So there you go. Merry Christmas. Yay. And I figure if, if one listener is asking about it, there's probably a bunch of listeners who are annoyed by it. Uh, my, I don't use iTunes and, and I devices. Mine just goes by the feed. So it never occurred to me that I should do that. Yeah. Now in actual iTunes, it does show up as an album. So, and it has for a, a while since I've been using this phone to catch it, but okay. so yeah, not a problem. I, I went ahead and did that. Um, interestingly enough, most MP3 tag editors don't even have podcast as a, as an option. They have like country and rock and alternative but I have to manually put podcast in there. And most things recognize it, but not everything even recognizes that as an audio file hmm. type or as a music style type or whatever you'd call it. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as we've been doing this whole RSS thing for years, and we still haven't quite figured out the right way to do it yeah, as a community. It's just <laughs> us. You know, it's just... They, well, according to Google, RSS is dead, so we'll never figure it out now. There's no point. Right. Nobody's using it. RSS anymore. <laughs> right. 
All right, so moving on to the tech news section, Seth says not all trolls are bad. Yeah, this was an interesting story I came across. Um, a guy by the name of J.M. Berger or Berger, he, um, he's like into like national security, Al Qaeda terrorism kind of thing. And he posted on his Twitter feed, according, or somebody posted on a Twitter feed, according to terrorism and um, extremism expert J.M. Berger, Al Qaeda was using this hashtag to solicit ideas for media ops. And it's in Arabic, which basically translates to suggestions for the development of jihadi media. And so the American trolls took over and suggestions came in such as, um, uh, there was celebrity big brother, um, Girl, I'll be the car bomb to your blast wall was a good one. And one of my favorites, I'm looking forward to see how it was read. Um, it was like, uh, a, a name for a, G- a movie, uh, Jill. Oh, where was Dude, it? Dude, where's my car bomb? Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Dude, where's my car bomb? And they, uh, they came in and then, uh, so apparently he got a death threat from Al Qaeda and then some, uh, people were translating, um, uh, the blood suckers can American participate in whatever. So they didn't like the fact that we were doing it, but, uh, it was kind of funny. So way to go, Twitter. Not all trolls are bad. That's funny. Uh, you know, trolling is trolling. It's just this time you happen to agree with the troll. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, but yeah, it's still I fun. It was fun. So, um, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if, if you're, a, if you're an Al Qaeda extremist person, then it wasn't funny to you, but it was funny to me. So, and I have this platform, you have your platform and I don't take much seriously. All right. And our next, uh, t- topic is about one of my favorite tools, LastPass. Apparently had a fairly small, um, uh, security breach uh, or security issue Leak. that they've Leak. That they've repaired. Yeah, this was found. Um, I caught it just a couple of like oh, probably noonish today. Um, LastPass was t- was talking about how they found a way that somebody found a way for cyber people to uh, break in, break your passwords by uh, doing a few little nuggets of tricks, which boil down to basically. Uh, you, it has to be through Internet Explorer on Windows, and you know, the the attacker has to be able to do a memory dump of Internet Explorer in order to pull your your hashes out. Now, while that's not too hard, but they also LastPass has said they've already fixed it. So, um, unless you're running an older version of of LastPass's plugin or uh, are not on are are not on Internet Explorer, um, you're immune to it. So. Not and, a big deal. But. And the folks over at LastPass, they take this stuff seriously. It's like, here's a small problem. Uh, we fixed it. We want you to know about it. And, oh, by the way, here's like 90 tips you can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, yep. And the, the, some good stuff even in their, their mea culpa. So. Yeah, I don't think... Is there a large overlap between LastPass users and Internet Explorer users? It's <laughs> uh, an interesting question, Seth. Yeah. You know, I mean, because, I mean, I guess maybe you have to have it for some banks who refuse to do anything other than Windows and IE, but 
I think the people who are going to be drawn to LastPass are people who long since ditched, um, if ever used Internet Explorer. See, oh, hang on a second. Got It's doing that thing again. And here we go. Uh, it's for, doing that where thing I work, again. Um, Internet Explorer da, da, is sort of the browser. I, I tried to get around that Sorry. by putting using uh, Firefox Portable and just drag, drag it over to a folder on my desktop. But then they started running a script that detects it and deletes it. They're, they're serious about it over there. They, they only want IE because that's the only one they can control. Um, right. And I don't use LastPass on there because I don't control it. I know that they have their own root certificates on there, which, by the way, let me say they're totally welcome to do. It's their network. It's their equipment. I am just a hired hand. I don't have any rights. And so, you know, don't don't misunderstand me. Um, uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with them doing that. It's not illegal. It's not immoral. Uh, it's just it is what it is. But because they own root certificates and because they sniff everything that goes through there, I don't use LastPass on IE. But in another scenario where where they're less draconian, uh, but require IE, I could see IE users using LastPass. So. Seth, to answer your question, I would say that probably the people who are using LastPass and IE don't have a choice but to use IE. Right. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, and I don't have a link to put in the show notes, but this has been big news for a while. What about that uh, article uh, of what I think is really misplaced outrage where people discovered that somebody sitting at your computer can look at your Chrome passwords that are stored? What What do you guys think about that? You can do that in all the browsers, Firefox is included. Yeah, it's that was just somebody. I mean, you know, it makes great show fodder, and I pro- I'm I don't think I no, I think I put it in the notes, but I think we cut it because you know we went overboard one week where we had too much news. Imagine I know that really happens, but yeah, I mean the same thing is, and there's you can even download little programs um, or short executables to do that. It's yeah. It shouldn't be news, but unfortunately, it is news. If you choose Google's, the remember password option, I think Google's response was a little a little stupid. It was, well, this is we didn't want to give you a false sense of security. We wanted people to know that if they that if somebody else sits at your, your computer, they can see your password. I, I didn't quite buy that, and I thought their response was a little tone deaf. That. Um, it was actually more secure. I don't know. Firefox does the same thing, but they have a master password. LastPass does the same thing. You have to enter a master password. And I think the issue yeah. that people were upset with with Chrome is that you can just do it. You don't have to have a password. But you have to be sitting at somebody else's computer that's already logged in and unlocked and has their profile yeah. loaded up. So by the time they get that far, it's a non-issue in my opinion. Yeah. Well, well but physical you access don't even trumps everything, to. so. Yeah, I think in Firefox, you don't even have to be in their profile. You can just download a little thing and point to where Fire, and I don't remember where it's cached, all users at data Mozilla slash Firefox slash super secret password location or something like that. And uh, you can just point to there and then it will tell you, oh, here's the website, here's a username and password. So, um. Now, maybe they've changed that with the more recent versions of Firefox, you know, in version 400 or 401, whichever one came out yesterday. Um, but that's <laughs> the way it used to be last time I found out about it. 
All right, and moving. I just wanted to to because we hadn't given that any air, and I thought you know it was something we should discuss, but not that much. So moving right along. Yeah. Um, um, does Microsoft even know what the Digital Millennium Copyright Act is? They they recently issued a takedown notice to themselves. Yes, apparently they paid a uh, company to do these notices for them and the first one they did well i'm the first one the first story in the show notes uh came out in july they actually sent a notice to google to take down and it was a link to the microsoft store so somehow they violated their own copyright and uh decided that you know they were infringing upon themselves and they wanted google to fix that for them uh and then this month they've kind of gotten their act together and now they're shooting these requests over to google to take down links to open office not to take down open office itself but to take down links to open office and this is one of the things where there's no recourse for doing this so you know microsoft they could do this to google for android or to google for whatever um it's just kind of one of those things that you have carte blanche to say, Hey, that's copyright material. You shouldn't do it. And then the onus falls upon the person to say, no, this isn't copyright material. And I can prove it because of these 785 reasons and DNA samples to back it up. <laughs> and then they'll think about, well, okay, maybe we overreacted that time. But in the meantime, here's 10 more links. And there's just, there's no, you know, it's one of those things where. There's far too much power and there's no checks to say, you know, that's a load of crap and here's a, a $5 fine to slot, slap you on the wrist or something like that. But there's just, there's nothing to keep them from doing it. So like I say, they've really, they've sent and not just one, but several, more than a dozen takedown notices to take down links to open office. Now, so. just to give you some background on this part, one of the the parts of the D- digital digital millennium copyright act that was passed in 96 98 it's 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 getting fairly old uh one of the things is that if you run a website that that uh hosts other people's stuff like youtube or provides access to other people's stuff like the google search engine you are required to have a mechanism by which copyright owners can have stuff removed so uh, if somebody is linking to a bootleg copy of uh, a book of some sort of Harry Potter, um, uh, J.K. Rowling can go to Google and say, "Remove these from your database." The you obviously you uh, Google can't take the stuff off the website, and J.K. Rowling has probably issued them a cease and desist, but they may not be they may be ignoring it. But like they can say, for example. Just just take this out of your, your your database. And Google is compelled by law to take some action on that. And because there are so many of these that happen all the time, they've automated the process. There's a, a Python script, because Google loves Python, where you submit something and list a reason, and they just go do it. And I doubt there's there's any human interaction, if if at all, it's very little. And then it's up to the person who got removed to go say, no, wait, wait, this is legitimate. And then they go back through the automated process again. And there's this, this robots fighting back and forth for a while. So that, that's the background on, on how this came to be. And so this firm that Microsoft hired to go sniff out piracy and issue these takedown notices 
took down issued a takedown notice for several of Microsoft's own links. Maybe they're paid by the link. (laughs) Maybe that's how that (laughs) works. Uh, And my question is, I wonder how long that happened before anybody noticed. Because, like I said, this is also automated, Um, right? Which really makes it hard for the the little guy who guy like me who I put something up and somebody uh, issues a takedown notice. It's it's almost impossible for me to get any attention. I'm not saying this has ever happened. I'm just saying hypothetically, it'd be almost impossible for me to get anybody to pay attention because it's all automated. Yeah. Yeah. That's Precisely. Well, and there's and like I say, if they if they do something in error, there's no recourse. You know, there's no there's no uh, nuisance fine or stop being an idiot fine, stop wasting the court's time fine or anything like that. So they can just continually to do it over and over again. And you're out the effort it takes to get your legitimate links reinstated. And it's it's a frustrating thing that media producers have have talked about. If you listen to any of Leo Laporte's podcasts, he talks about you know frequently um, if he plays a clip from something on his one of his shows, which is perfectly within the 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 purview of fair views because they're commenting on it, um, they'll get their whole show will get taken down. And when you have a show, when you have a a product that has a uh, a lifespan. Right, so a podcast in this case is like a week. The if if you're doing a news show, you got a few days to a week, and then it's stale content anymore. And if you spend six of your seven days arguing over whether it should really have been taken down, it's pretty much ruined anyway. Right, yeah, so. and yeah, for us it's no big deal because this is a a hobby. But for somebody like that, who that's their job and that's their livelihood. It's very easy to get screwed over and no recourse to recoup your losses. Just, oh, well, sorry. My bad. Or whatever the equivalent of that is. (laughs) Moving on to the next thing. Uh, This is something we've mentioned briefly uh, in the past. uh, And and that is um, now that more and more things are happening in the web, Turns out your OS isn't the only thing that you need to watch out for. Your website can be hacked or the website you're viewing. Right. And the main point of this story is just that, you know, I was talking about used to back in the day and the course of the day being as little as three or four years ago, XP, you know, you could just sneeze and blow away, you know, a dozen vulnerabilities in XP or uncover them because it was just so insecure. It was developed in a time where, you know, security wasn't a big deal. The web was not near what it is today. And just people didn't think about that. But it's, you know, it's been around for so long and now it's gotten so hardened. And it's, I mean, of course, there's always more vulnerabilities, but it's fairly secure that now it's easier for the the criminal enterprises who are out to do that. They can hack websites because, you know, and this happens to network administrators all the time whenever one of your many duties is the co- the corporate or company or school district's website you installed it with what was a current version of say Joomla and then you had other things to put out and four years have gone by and you you've updated the website content since then but you've never updated the underlying Joomla it was built on and there's been vulnerabilities out the wazoo 
found on that and patched, but you've never patched them. And so there's scripts out there that run and will infect a legitimate website. So, you know, not some, hey, I'm a malicious website.com, but, you know, it could happen to pick a website. It doesn't matter. Intel.com, uh, whatever. And then you can, it can be hacked because the website itself is vulnerable. And so it's just important that just because you have antivirus on your computer and just because you have a firewall at home, that doesn't necessarily protect you. And of course, this, I'm not trying to spread fear, but it's just something to be aware of that, hey, you know, websites are targets too. And people who have websites up for hobbyists or whatever, or small businesses, you know, you need to spend some time to make sure that your underlying platform is updated as well as just the content of your website. And that was kind of the gist of the story. Right. And, and like you said, this is nothing new. It's just uh, the numbers are taking off. It, the, uh, hackers are finding that websites are softer targets than OSs. And if I can corrupt one website, I can affect millions of computers. So it's a, it's a higher target. And yeah, the particularly prepackaged things like WordPress um, and Drupal and, and Jubal and things like that, that that people just download and click the install button on their cPanel. Uh, those are those are easy targets. And also, yep. you know, for the non-sophisticated user, and I count myself among those, when it comes to, you know, uh, databases and, and, and that sort of stuff online, I'm a non-sophisticated user. I largely just kind of grab the stuff and use a package and hope for the best. So it's really hard for us to get in there and secure something. And worse yet, sometimes the, the updates that offer the security break existing functionality. So you have people choosing to run vulnerable because the option is to run not at all. Right. Uh, well, and sometimes that's not a choice. It's you're running some, it was an app was developed that only works on this particular version of this software. And if you install another version, the app breaks and your business involves the use of that app. When I was working for a cable company, we had to, there was like seven different versions of Java I had to put on a fresh machine because Fieldtex had to have each of those seven for different products. And now that's on the end user side, but on the website, there's a lot of that too. Hey, you know, I need this particular module to serve up this particular content and that's the only way it works. Well, guess what? That particular module hasn't been supported in three years. Well, but this plugin's current and it's got to work. So. This seems like a great time to move into our pitch for uh, the Linux Academy, because if you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about these website modules and, and PHP and Drupal and all that sort of stuff, those are the guys who can help you out with that sort of stuff. The Linux Academy's uh, game is to uh, to uh, offer you, uh, to take you from a novice to a Linux administrator uh, by going through their content, offering step-by-step video courses, uh, uh, currently right around 200 courses. Uh, you get your own Linux lab server that lets you run up to eight different distributions, so you can play with different things, try them out, see how they work, downloadable reference sheets, uh, study guides in PDF format. Uh, they have a, a, a lesson browser, so you can pick this lesson and, and pick that lesson and uh, see what you want to do without having to go through a whole course, and it tracks your progress. They've got online quizzes, so you can see if you're really getting all this sort of stuff. Uh, as uh, we talked about uh, recently, the Linux Academy for Teams, so that you can 
have multiple people whose progress you're tracking um, as as you go along. Uh, and uh, most recently, uh, they have offered uh, a new class. It's the registration is still open, as far as I know, for uh, an LPIC, which is uh, I forgot what that was. Linux something something something. <laughs> Look it up, guys. While I'm talking. Uh, uh, an LPIC level one instructor instructor led study class. So once you sign up for the the uh, Linux Academy, you can uh, go in here and sign up for this study class, which is instructor led, uh, which is great. It's not just uh, 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 video lessons, which are great in themselves, but this is an actual human uh, talking to you and and that you can go back for, and that's an extra hundred bucks for this class that will get you um, a certification, which is well worth it. And you get all this awesome stuff for a buck for the first two weeks check it out see if you like it you get 14 days for a dollar and if you um if you do like it and you want to stick around it's only 19 dollars a month or you buy two months you get a third one free and they call that 38 dollars a quarter use the code everyday linux when you sign up so that they know you heard about it from here so there you go i wasn't planning on putting the ad there but the the topic led us to that so we're going and it yeah, and LPIC stands for Linux Professional Institute Certification. There and then there's yep. there's like level one, level two, and level three. So, And in there case you, you weren't scared enough already, how about a new uh, vulnerability that seems to work pretty much in every uh, website, in every platform, all the way across the board, and you can't control it? Nice. Gee, let's let's hear about this exploit that is going to kill everyone. It's the black plague of the web. Oh, oh no! And Seth is reeling because I skipped around him and he doesn't know which <laughs> what well, I'm talking and, about. And the thing is, it's not like when I click on the story, it's not giving me the link to do. So I don't know. I don't know what happened to my computer. So according to Ars Technica, a a popular ad-serving software opens websites Ah. for remote hijacking. So um, this is is so insidious, right? So uh, you buy uh, or or sell a space on your website for an ad company to put ads on there. Another third party figures out a way to hack that ad service. So it's not coming from your site. You don't have any control over it. The 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 viewer of your site, it doesn't matter what operating system they're running because it's an HTML hack, and and it comes in through this third party backdoor, uh, uh, third party service who doesn't know what's happening because it's a Trojan that they've injected into it. It's it's insidious and it's brilliant all at the same time. Yeah, it's something yeah, so similar it really- has happened before. Yeah, so this wouldn't matter if you were doing Linux or Apple or anything because this is coming through the website that you sign into and the hack can apparently uh, do such things as uh, passwords stored in databases. Um, Did we lose you, Seth? I'm still here. Like can it. you hear okay. me? You just you were just sort of in the middle of a sentence there. <laughs> oh, no, I was just saying that, you know, it's one of those, it's a back door, it's a true back door, so it will have to be closed. And apparently the OpenX ad server, which is the name of the, the program, right. it's pretty common use and pretty commonly in use and custom or companies such as Coca-Cola, Bloomberg, Samsung, you know, Samsung is lightly involved in the technology industry. There's just a small sampling of companies that use this website. Um, or use this platform and they count them as customers. 
Yeah, and uh, it's in JavaScript, which pretty much you can't function on the web without JavaScript. If you've got a plugin like NoScript running, you realize quickly that the whole web is broken without JavaScript. Yeah. So this is JavaScript exploit built into this app platform, hidden into the their stats module. <laughs> it's 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 brilliant. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to sound like a fanboy for hackers. But this is a brilliant piece of coding. Um, yeah. If yeah, only they would use their power for good instead of evil. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why they exploited this, is to show it off so people would close it. Because we all know how good bad guys are, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so th- that's just something to keep an eye out. There, there's, there ain't nothing you can do about it, um, yeah. as Richard Marx would say. Um <laughs> Sorry, that was random, uh, but it's uh, it's just something to be aware of. But but literally, there's there's not a, if you have an ad blocking app on your browser, I assume that would fix it because it's going to deny all content coming from that service. So maybe that becomes a um, a defense mechanism. Right now, it's just sort of an annoyance uh, remover. But yeah, you know, I'm hesitant to recommend that because. Whether you like it or not, the web runs on ads. Um, yeah, so right. It's 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 really an interesting quandary that uh, they were going to have to take a look on, uh, look at uh, in the future. I wonder if you, on your personal firewall, if you blocked the um, OpenX IPs, I wonder if that would work. Oh uh, yeah, because it would never serve the code from that yeah. service, so that would do. I, right. My Boris box has a module. That blocks ads, for the most. Part. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. I just said you shouldn't do that because the web runs on ads. But I do it. There's a module <laughs> right in that that b- blocks most major ad networks. Um. So that that would probably keep me safe, but it also makes me you know a leech. Uh, anyway. Yep. Yeah, but you know that's how it kind of works though. So this next one is of interest to me personally. Uh, some people, uh, some developers have been working on a way to get Silverlight in Linux browsers. Why on the earth would anybody want Silverlight for Netflix? Netflix is one of the few things in the world that still uses Silverlight, and they do it because the DRM is baked right in. Well, the Pipelight project may, in fact, make that possible. Yeah, I was, um, I came across this and this is fairly recent stuff on the web. Um, pipeline, it takes it, it you're running, you run, it kind of works in conjunction with wine. So you're not running your browser in wine, but there is a, uh, there's an executable you have to run in wine to serve up the DRM modules to allow Netflix to work on like your Linux Firefox. But um, it's one step closer to native Linux support pre-HTML5 uh, in uh, for Netflix and other things such as that. So, you know, one of the barriers to getting uh, to Linux adoption is, you know, starting to be chipped away at little uh, hole in the dike if it if not quite broken altogether. So, cause, you know, Netflix is like the one thing that beats porn in terms of bits flowing across the internet, at least on some days. So there you go. Now here's a way for you to run it at least semi-natively in, uh, 
in Linux. And of course, you know, Richard Salman, he hates this because it's not free software, but you know, if it gets people into Linux, yay, pipelight. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting look at it is, is will this m- allow more people to use Linux? Yeah, definitely. Because I know in my personal experience, I've had people tell me that, uh, you know, the lack of, of Netflix on Linux is a hard stop for them. Yeah, I've heard that a lot too. See our comments later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. I've got a couple of more things here. We're, we're going super long in this segment, but. Uh, there's so much good news this week. Um, yeah. And because the open source world likes to bash on Google, and frankly, I don't know why, um, the, the question has been asked, has go- Google gone from do no evil to pure evil? Well, bum, bum, I, you know, that was just the way I, um, that's just kind of the way I threaded it well, and that's, that's that's sensational headline writing seth you're, you're that's people pay good money for that yeah and which article is that um i'm sorry <laughs> see i did the thing where i have all of the articles up in a browser uh and then i'm using uh the thing in the chat window and for whatever reason my links aren't working um i don't know what it is but they are not working um the, well, see, I'm interested into how you came across this because the story uh, headline is Lenovo ships more mobile devices than PCs for the first time. And how you got pure evil Google out of this, I was interested to know. Yeah, okay, well, that means, <laughs> well, that means I'll link the wrong story. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the only reason I did this story because I was waiting to see how you came up with that connection. Oh, man. I, uh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Ah, I hate being bandwidth impaired. Every time I do something to try to uh, to try to take out my um, overcome my bandwidth hurdles, it just doesn't seem to work. So, well, to be continued next week, folks. We'll find out next week why Seth thinks Google is pure evil. Um, and for for <laughs> now, uh, we'll do this one. That Business Insider says that uh, the NSA is uh, firing up to 90% of their system administrators because they don't want any Snowdens in the future. Yep. Yeah, that's And they're saying much it. that it'd be faster to, uh, the, their network performance will be better because there's not so many uh, administrators that policy has to go through before it can be implemented. <laughs> sure. What, however you want to couch I, that. The, the truth is that, that uh, you have to give the keys to the kingdom to somebody, and the fewer people they can give the keys to, the better. Yeah. But that's oh, still I don't funny have that they're the article, sack all but those I people. remember what it was about. I'm sorry. The <laughs> Do No Evil article. Oh. Well, well, we'll circle back next week. Okay. So, yeah, the NSA um, is in the process of canning system administrators. I think that's interesting because, the you know, this is all about this whole um, prism thing is all about technology. And now they're canning the people who manage the technology. So then what? I mean, who's in charge of now? Now are you going to put a low-level guy who you can trust but who doesn't know anything to man this equipment? That doesn't seem wise. Yeah, well, it's no, just an interesting story fewer, altogether. There'll be a fewer number of high-level guys to manage the equipment whom you can trust, uh, theoretically. So basically, it sounds like they're going to fire anybody that they 
that they think might be suspicious. That's the way I read that. Yeah, pretty much. But they're doing it uh, in the name of cost saving and speed and all of this other stuff. But yeah, basically, it's like Eric Snowden uh, exposed our dirty laundry. So we're going to fire anybody who could possibly do that in the future. Edward Snowden. You said Eric. What did I say? Oh, Eric, Eric. I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, and then the last one is uh, uh, true to the heart of this audience. Um, Valve is moving to Linux, and that's what uh, Mike was talking about earlier, the Noobs Lab products. And how is Valve's controversial move to Linux affecting Windows? Chris, I think you put this one in there, didn't you? No, I didn't put this one in. <laughs> but well, uh, I, I, it's it, it's an it's an ongoing thing that everyone that the uh, the Valve company, especially um, what's the guy Gabe Newell, um, he's a chief the chief executive, uh, was really angry and pissed off about how Windows eight handles graphics in in full screen applications and the fact that other stuff is running behind it, and it slows down the performance of all his games. So they started finding a way to make um, Linux run better for the games, such as like Half Life and Left 4 Dead, and things that you know Steam makes themselves, that Valve makes themselves. Uh, and they found that most of the time they can get a better performance by running everything on Linux. So hence the whole Steam box that's due out sometime in the future. Uh, it, it's just very interesting to find out that these th- this major Windows developer is pushing open source development for graphics drivers so they can have uh, a better gaming environment for their games. Uh, one of the things that they they in this this particular story they uh, are bringing up the Left 4 Dead test drive that they did, and the Left 4 Dead test drive normally Left 4 Dead runs at about a hundred frames on an average build of a computer. Uh, the same machine running on Linux ran approximately 315 frames with the same hardware. So it's interesting to see that Windows, even though it is the marketplace behemoth for PC gaming, may not be the most optimum place for PC gaming. And I think that's a case of uh, resting on your laurels, right? Both Intel and uh, Microsoft sort of had this market sewn up for a while, and so they yep. didn't really innovate. NVIDIA was doing most of the innovation, and now they're, uh, they have leapfrogged Intel in a lot of ways, and um, you know Linux has never stopped innovating, and they're in the process of trying to leapfrog Windows. So you may have this, this NVIDIA Linux powerhouse uh, that becomes the gaming platform of choice. We're not there yet, but we can hope. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how hard um, the Valve company pushes this because you know they're the one of the few AAA game providers that are exclusively doing the tra- the transcoding to get um, games in Linux. Uh, they have their own Steam client. They've been pushing a lot of their developers to go to a Linux centric type development um i think i'd have to pull open my my steam account to tell you for sure which which AAA games are now linux enabled but there's a a large well it's not very large now but it's it's probably tripled in over a year in the amount of games for linux that are from AAA titles has it grown by 132 percent chris because that's how much Livona, lenovo's smartphone sales have gone up 132 percent 
Wow. Now there's yeah, a, they, a nice st- statistic. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, since they have more than doubled, that means they must be the largest manufacturer of smartphones in the world. You would think that uh, based on the percentage, but no, Mark, as much as I know you love numbers, occasionally people do try to manipulate statistics, but Lenovo has become the world's number four smartphone supplier and the weird and this for the last quarter they actually shipped more uh tablets and smartphones than they did pcs and so they are the number one pc maker and if the number four smartphone maker is shipping more smartphones than they are pcs what does that say about the pc industry obviously nobody uses pcs anymore right right. because they're falling off (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's the that's what i call the global warming effect the taking right. a single data point and saying that it means everything clearly the yeah. the the laptop is dead the desktop is dead and uh, lenovo is the best company in the world all because of these numbers right here <laughs> yeah I, I would think so obviously um but yeah and it's weird that for this particular article, he doesn't come out and say it, but he seems to group PCs and laptops differently when pretty much the rest of the industry doesn't. But in order to to get some good numbers uh, and to make the headline not a total lie, he grouped desktops separate from laptops and then grouped smartphones and tablets together to say that their shipments were greater than desktops. However, so. you have to work the numbers. It doesn't matter. But and you love week, numbers so much. I wanted to make sure you get those in technology history, there. just on Friday, Debian Linux, excuse me, Debian GNU slash Linux turned 20 years old. Yes, Congratulations uh, for reaching 20. You can almost drink, Debian. Almost. 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 But I guarantee all of your developers are drinking. <laughs> right. August the 16th, uh, 1993, Debian was born and it continues to thrive and has uh, sometimes it has the moniker of the universal operating system because it can run on such a wide range of stuff and um, not quite the granddaddy of them all, but definitely an aged and respected member of the GNU slash Linux um, community of world domination. Yeah. So Happy Debian is. Debian is sort of the the fountainhead from which most of the major Linux distributions today flow. Um, Of course, there's the Red Hat branch uh, out there as well, but uh, Debian is the darling. Um, Yeah. Ubuntu is a derivative of Debian, and there are about 8 bazillion derivatives of Ubuntu. So it's a a big deal. It's kind of a big thing. Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. It's kind of a cool thing. You know, maybe I'll actually go back and give Debian a whirl again. I haven't done Debian for a couple of years now. I don't know that I've ever run stock Debian. I've always run some derivative of it. Because initially, hmm. I say initially, for a long time, it wasn't interested in being user-friendly. It was interested in being developer-friendly. And it yeah. relied on other people to make it user-friendly. I don't know if that's still true or not. Well, I know I've never run Debian. There's a, there's no question about that. 
All right, and so now moving on to the topic of the day, questions from non-Linux users. Uh, this was a top survey, 100 uh, uh, questions, top five answers on the board. Survey, no, that's a different thing altogether. Uh, basically, these are <laughs> anecdotal questions that that Chris has heard in the recent past. Um, yeah. And it, since this show is about newbies, let's go. First question, how does one start using Linux? Which is a kind of a, a, a generic and everyone asks that type of a question anyway. You know, there's people that want to just play with it. There's people that want to test it. And there's people that want to use it straight up. So the question is, is how would you? Do, would you have people VM it to play with it or live CD it? Uh, I normally ask people to live CD their hardware first. And what uh, what do you think is the, the best live CD? Um... That depends on version releases. Um, Ubuntu usually has a fairly rock-solid live interface, so you can get a good handle of what your hardware will work. Um, I would normally also say Mint, but I've had issues with their live CD the last couple of releases where it just it wouldn't boot. Um, I ended up having to use the alternative installer in order to even install Mint to even play with it. So uh, I usually tell them to try Ubuntu in an a Ubuntu or Ubuntu uh, install uh, live CD. I go one farther than that. I say use the the version prior to the current version Ubuntu live CD for new for okay. total new users who's never used it because the new version is often a little more bleeding edge than a, than a total noob can handle. So if it, you know right now we're at um, um, thirteen oh four. I recommend that they go with uh, 12.10. Yeah. See, and the other thing, I always, I haven't had a chance to look at this recently, but does Ubuntu still have the Windows installable version where you still have Windows running and it's just emulating itself? What is that called? UB? You, something like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's out Woobie, there. It's, I think. Wooby. Yeah. Uh, it's Ubuntu didn't do it, but another team did. And it's really good. It it does it gives you a flavor for it, but not anywhere near the performance. It's it's a it's a beast in terms of performance, but it does give you the flavor of running right. uh, Ubuntu without actually having to do anything. You 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 install essentially it's SigWin basically, and you install uh, Ubuntu inside Windows. It's, yeah, it's nice. It looks like nice nice. Or Nightstar in the chat room says that they did away with it, so maybe it's a dead project now. But I always thought that was a neat thing for someone to get the look of it without having to virtualize it or reboot into a CD. Because there's a lot of times, um, I've had a couple of new users that have, you know, I've handed them the disk and said, here, boot from this and try it out. And I end up getting a phone call going, I can't boot from this. How, how do I do that? Because some of the users don't even know how to change their boot device. So, um, I've actually even gotten to the point now where if someone wants to learn or to at least look at a, a Linux box, I'll hand them my laptop or a virtual machine that's already up and running and say, here, sit down and look at this. And uh, just a little quick Googling. They did remove it from the installed media in 13.04, but it's still out there. So you have to download the media, then download Wubi. And and go that way, so it's not as easy as it used to be. I, live gives you a better re, uh, look, anyway. Yeah. 
Okay. And then the next question that almost everybody asks is, what is a comparable to X in terms of software? If I'm in Linux yeah. and I want to do X, what software do, do I use? So if I want to run Outlook, what do I do? Uh, so let's go down some of the list there. So starting with, we'll, we'll go with there, with mail client. What is the uh, the mail client that is most going to be most familiar to people who still use a desktop mail client? Evolution or Thunderbird. That would be my my first two right off the top of my head would be Evolution or Thunderbird, um, especially if they're using Exchange. Um, Evolution yeah. with some hoops, you can get Evolution to work with Exchange. So uh, that would be my first my first two off the top. Yeah, Thunderbird uh, does not, or at least the last time I used it, you know, I've been on uh, Gmail for a long time now, uh, does not have uh, contact management or calendar built in. It is just a mail client. Whereas Evolution yep. has the more integrated system. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I've seen a lot of people, there's a, uh, I could name out a couple of people, but I'm not going to name them by name, that were Outlook addicts. <laughs> and Mark, I'm sure, Seth, you both probably know people that are Outlook addicts. Um, oh, yeah. I gave them, I set them up with Evolution and they didn't know the difference. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I connected their, their exchange system to it and sat them in front of it and said, okay, tell me if you see anything different. And they said, no, it looks just like what I'm used to. So if you, if you know people that are out, Outlook addicts, evolution is almost, it would almost be a hundred percent drop in as long as it's not exchange. Um, exchange still gives it a bunch of errors, but it's getting better. You know, and I have never liked Outlook. I mean, from the, the early days, from the Windows 95 days, I didn't like it. And today, you know, where I work, it's the, the mail system of choice. And I still don't like it. It's just never, it's, it's never clunky. appealed to me in any way. Um, it's so clunky I, to me. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's bloated. And every time I've ever had to run Outlook, it seems to always make my machine just dead slow. Oh, so. yeah. There's a lot, but. And when you get into, like, I work in the legal profession, and there are several things that have tie-ins or plug-ins for Outlook that are business critical to the lawyers and the firm, and, oh, my gosh, it kills it. You know, it just destroys the usability of the computer because it takes forever to open. They always crash, and they're buggy. And, of course, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the plug-ins, but Outlook is just, I don't know. You know, it, it's... Ugh, I don't care much for it myself. <laughs> All right, moving on down the line, Office Suite. Is there any choice? It's LibreOffice. There are others yeah. out there, but LibreOffice stands head and shoulders above the others. Yeah, well, they've built yeah. on the shoulders of giants. So, yeah, LibreOffice would definitely be uh, number one there. Uh, no, close number two would probably be Google Docs, in my opinion, or uh, Zoho Office. I heard some guys on a on a Windows podcast dissing LibreOffice recently, talking about how terrible it is, and I thought they probably tried it like in 1997 and have never looked back because it Could is be. really an outstanding suite of of products for not only basic but advanced uh, tasks as well. Um, it's really come a long, long way, and and I think that maybe like me with Outlook, I didn't like it from the beginning, and I still don't like it no matter how good it gets, well, although I'm still waiting for it to get good. I think a lot of people <laughs> never gave OpenOffice slash StarOffice slash LibreOffice a fair shake, but it's really good. Um, well, and and it's like the it. 
Yeah, it's the people who aren't using the regular. It's the, you know, it's the things that Word does that don't have anything to do with writing a document, you know, that really set it apart uh, and its integration with Outlook, um, which, of course, makes it the greatest program ever. But, yeah, as far as there are things that Microsoft does, there are more things that Microsoft that Microsoft Office does that Libra can't than that Libra does that Office can't. And the interoperability between the two, you know, sometimes if you're like an Excel user and you program, you know, functions and stuff in Excel, sometimes those don't work the same way in LibreOffice. And so you can really screw up a document by opening it in LibreOffice and then saving those changes back, even though it's the same format. They're like, oh my gosh, this program's garbage. It screwed up my spreadsheet, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, so there are some times, but for most people, it's, it's no, it's, I mean, the interface is different because it's like the old office interface versus the ribbon that you've got Yay. with the last couple of versions. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's more than enough reason for it to be number one right there. But, uh, and autosave, yeah. it's autosave function aren't as good. Yeah, I've Mark. I've, did you ever try K Office? I've tried K Office, and it's it's good. I, I don't have a complaint about it. It's just not it, the uh, the full, fi- full, full feature, feature rich. Yeah, yeah. that LibreOffice is. Uh, if you just okay. want a word uh, word processor, Abby Word is really good. It doesn't do much, yep. but it's really good at what it does. Probably. Yeah. Uh, there's a great That's website the called Alternative Two A L T Alternative T O, and it's it sets up uh, uh it, it sets out to do just that to say i i have this i want that it's alternative net. sometimes the recommendations are a little old and crusty uh because it's all <laughs> user commented stuff but uh you can you can go in and say um you know i'm looking for something on the mac uh and then go there and say uh f- games and there's a list of Mac games and alternatives to them uh, on Linux. It's a it's, it's a good software. Uh, I mean, a good website that I recommend people try, uh, and it'll give you an idea of what's out there. And then the idea, uh, just seeing how many there are, is often yeah. uh, eye opening because there are thousands and thousands of things that set out to, if not directly replicate, uh, at least provide the same functionality. Uh, of of existing Linux and uh, Windows and Mac software, right? All right. I, I don't think we're going to belabor the software point. Uh, f- there's photo managers out there. There's not much in the way of video editing still. Um, I, I hope that's going to get better, but there's not yet. Um, the next question people tend to ask about what devices are compatible with Linux, and the the real answer is almost everything. Except yeah. for, you know, certain, if you paid $30 for it at Walmart for a printer, you're probably not going to have a lot of luck. But otherwise, right. everything works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've found that. with The only time I've ever had a problem with, uh, the biggest one I've ever had a problem with has always been the, uh, a- the ATI graphics cards. Um, that's always seemed to be an Achilles heel for most machines. But in recent distributions, that's gone away now. So, yeah. even the dreaded Broadcom wireless 
has gotten pretty yeah. good support in recent days. So, yeah, I, I always tell people just about everything. And if it isn't available right away, it will be soon, usually, yeah. within a couple of months. So, And then the next uh, question people often ask is, where do I get software for Linux? And I think that's really the most beautiful thing about it. You get it right there on your computer. Yeah. You know, the, they have so many different software centers. Uh, the Ubuntu package managers, the... Well, the the software manager that's built into the KDE control panel works just fine. Uh, there's also alternative ones, you know, Aptitude and uh, Yum. But yeah, it's it's all built in. You don't even have to go anywhere else. You just open up your package manager and a boom, find something. There you go. You know, well, and I don't think. Or go ahead, Seth. I was gonna say I don't think this is as big a deal as it used to be because with the growing acceptance of the app store and google play store and even you know microsoft and windows 8 they have their whatever it's called store you're used to getting software now from the computer itself rather than going out and searching on websites so the simple fact that you can go into it in ubuntu or whatever and you know you just it's just instead of saying you do what it's just now a matter of showing them where it is and how to get to it but i don't think that it's as big a deal anymore that you know or it's not people don't people don't think you're strange because it's more accepted now of built-in app stores right and some things are a little harder um like for example if you've got a 64-bit version of uh, ubuntu and you want to download flash you're not just going to yeah. be able to go to the to, to get.flash.com or whatever that site is, get.micromedia, I can't even remember what it is now, and and just click a button like you can on, on Windows or Mac. Um, you're going to have to do a little more work. It's out there, and you can usually oh, find yeah. pretty clear instructions on how to do it, but things like that are a little more difficult to find, and oftentimes the auto-updaters don't work as well. Well, they don't work all. very well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a hit and miss with Flash. Java's the same boat. Most of the time, though, the, the what is it, NetBeans or Java, Be I don't remember what it's called now, that's built into the most Firefox distributions when you download it um, is enough to do the Java that's on there, out on the web anyway. Yeah. And if you happen to be in 1987 and need something that runs Shockwave, you're kind of out of luck on the Linux world. <laughs> right. And... And Silverlight, up until recently, there was the Moonlight Project, but it never worked in my experience. Yeah, me neither. It's always been clunky at best. And so we have we have uh, hopes in store for the new uh, Silverlight. But Silverlight is really not as big a deal as it used to be. Um, no, I think, it's I think kind of Major fallen. League Baseball still uses it. Uh, the The 08 Olympics used it, uh, but it's not as big as it used to be. Well, and plus, I think even Microsoft has it, um, announced that it's being discontinued in, I don't remember, but a year or two, they're going to, they're going to quit supporting it as well. Right. So yeah, Silverlight, Silverlight will be dead, which is why everyone's hoping that HTML5 takes up and, and runs with it and takes the world by storm. Uh, and then the next thing that people, it's not really a question, but it's it's something that always comes up with new users is it just looks different. There's yep. my East Texas. It just looks different. Um, you know, and, you know, this, 
if you're on stock uh, Ubuntu uh, using um, Unity, now everything's over there on the left, and that's not like anything you've you've used in the Windows or the Mac world. If you're using an old version of GNOME, you've got the split bar at the top and the bottom, and that's different. Um, and there's there are all kinds of things out there that will make your Linux desktop look like something else. But I find that all of those are just sort of painting a turd. Um, generally, you just need to learn the way it works. And yeah. people people don't like change, but it's the same thing when you move from XP to Windows 7. It just looks different. And when you move from Windows 7 to Windows 8, it just looks different. And you just got to bite that bullet and, and move on. You guys have any other feedback on that? Well, my simple one is I usually look at see what version of Windows they're on currently. If it's 7 and under, you know, 7, XP, etc., I usually point them at KDE because, yes, it isn't exactly the same, but it's close enough that people can find their way around. Um, if they're a Windows 8 person, you know, if, if they just bought a brand new laptop, but they don't like 8 and they want to see something different, I'll point them at GNOME 3, a GNOME 3 thing because it's similar enough that they can get, they, they can jump through it without too much of a headache. And uh, so you don't recommend Unity to, to anyone? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I think I'd rather eat my hat than give Unity to somebody. Seth, you're a diehard Windows guy who came to win Linux fairly late. What what are your um, tips and comments on the UI issues? You know, I mean, the thing is, there are distros of Linux that are designed to be almost exactly like XP or almost exactly like 7. So if you really like the way XP works, find the distro of Linux that is like, hey, we look like xp or you know or seven or whatever i personally but you know i had no i had much less issue trying to find my way around linux than i did trying to find my way around a mac it was all i could do to not physically rip that macbook <laughs> apart and cuss the rep <laughs> that let me borrow it for two weeks because i hated that thing with a passion but linux i mean i can I found it, you know, and of course, I'm weird and different from most people anyway, so I was able to figure out how to do stuff, and of course, you know, Google and learn, and you can right-click with the mouse and stuff like that, um, and it didn't, and plus, you know, well, anyway, I could just go on bashing Max, I don't need a reason, but <laughs> <laughs> just don't, it's, I mean, you have to learn something new regardless of whether you're moving to the later version of Windows or if you're moving to a Mac or if you're moving to Linux. So look around. And the great thing about live CDs, you know, even if you don't want to go through the trouble of converting them to a flash drive, you just out the cost of a few CDs to, hey, I'm going to try Ubuntu or, hey, I'm going to try Debian or, hey, I'm going to try Puppy because my computer's old and crappy. Um, you know, and just see, oh, hey, you know, I, I like this one. I don't really want to, I'll learn this one and then go for it. It's, it's not that hard and you can install things. There's tons of software out there that you can load your computer with. So you're not, you know, subject to internet connectivity or whatever, but there's lots of software to do all kinds of stuff available in Linux. So just 
pick one that you like. And then if you want to try to change it, you know, and the great thing is try to change it. If you mess up, you know, just reinstall it or pick another distribution and start over. I don't really see again, you know, it's not like five or six years ago where it was, you know, I'm stuck with XP. It's like, if you've been using XP, you're going to have to change anyway. Do you want to try to learn Windows 8 or do you want to try to learn Mac or do you want to try to learn Linux? It's, you know, each one gives you better than the other in certain things. Uh, It says we've talked about before their parity with the other OS is now in with the exception of just certain niche things where you can't do that in Linux. And if you're a geek user and not just a, you know, uh, a novice, if you're, if you want to be a professional geek, you really need to learn to slide between all of them. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is in your best interest. It's Seth, I have the same experience with you about the Mac OS. I just don't like it, but it's in your best interest to learn to use it uh, if you're going to do this for a living. And the same, uh, that hasn't always been the case with Linux. You could safely ignore Linux. That is no longer the case. Exactly. Uh, right. If you're a professional computer guy, you have to learn to to work your way around Linux. Or at least uh, the basics of the system. Which leads us to the next question that people ask, where do I get help? Um, and that is often a difficult question regardless of your OS. Exactly. You know, I, I, here, here's what I often um, uh, say when people, somebody says, like, particularly when I'm trying to sell it to a boss man and trying to get him to, to let me put Linux in. He says, well, where do we go to get help? And I answer, where do you go to get help for Windows right now? Is there an 800 number you call 1-800-MICROSOFT? No, there's not. You, you go to the web, you go to Google, or you go to the person you've hired, i.e. me. Those are the same places you go for Linux. There's no yep. 1-800-LINUX number either. Um, and so there's always that red herring that people throw out there. Where You can't get support for Linux. You can't get support for anything. Let's face it. <laughs> um, if you've ever tried to get support for that brand new Dell, you know what a, an exercise in, in time wasting that is. You end up with a, with a sweaty ear because your phone has been up to it for an hour and a half and still no help. Yeah, it's basically the same. Um, but I will say Linux, though, does have um, IRC chats and forums that seem to be a lot more helpful than most of the Windows support forums that I've ever been to. So for me, uh, I always seem to get along better with the, the chat groups because I guess maybe I'm just that much of an old-time geek and IRC likes me. Uh, but, you know, it, also you can also even go with, you know, I was just talking to one of my clients the other day and they were asking the same question about how do I get support with Linux if I move that way? And I go, well, if support is that big of an issue and you want a, a number to call, uh, then the only way, the only place to go would be to be to Red Hat, honestly, because they're the only ones that give you a support contract for the price you pay for it. SUSE Linux does as well. The well, SUSE right. Linux as enterprise desktop. Right. But I'm a Red Hat guy. I'm a Fedora guy. I'm going to push for, I'm going to push Red Hat. Sorry. Sorry, Susie. Yeah, I like your guys' product too, but Fedora just fits me and the Red Hat just fits me better. So, but I, you know, and then I told them the price tag of it and they go, well, that's every year. I go, well, you're going to pay a support contract to any company if you want 24 seven support. So pick your poison. It's either Windows and you pay a third party or you bought, you go Red Hat and you pay Red Hat to support you. For me, if I was paying for a 
support contract. I wouldn't want to pay a third party. I'd want to pay the guy who developed it. You know, I've been around a long time in this industry. I'm, I'm you know, getting uh, into the middle-aged years, and I, I kind of grew up with this industry. And this myth of the 800 number is just that, a myth. It never existed anywhere, ever. Yeah. Well, so when you, if you buy a custom software project, there, uh, product, there is a certain amount of, of support built in. If you, um, you might, if you're buying tens of thousands of computers for your organization, you might be able to wrangle some support in there too, but it's not from Microsoft. It's from some third party person. There is no such thing as support for, for OSs. It just, it's just not out there. Well, Except and even in the Red Hat world, that's really Red Hat uh, and and Sled are the only two I know that actually do it. So when the people say that there's this this lack of support, actually Linux has way more support than anybody else, as far as I know. Now the Apple does have the genius, right? You can go down to the mall and you can have that guy help you, but you're not going to call Apple support on the phone and expect any reasonable results. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, least- Seth, I stepped on you. What you were saying? No, I was going to say the support that is available, and this is from someone who's done that support, is, you know, oh, well, let me help you reinstall your operating system with the disk that we ship or, you know, boot and hit F12 and launch the recovery. There, If you want yeah. support, you've paid extra for that support. There isn't. There is not support provided for free. It's just your IT department knows windows because that's what they use and they don't need to call support for that and there's people around you who know windows and can help you and you think you have support when it's just people you know helping you out all right i i I preached on that subject longer than i should have uh let's just uh (laughs) talk about the elephant in the room there are things that don't work in linux and I yep. really hate it when people are so zealous to push Linux that they say, oh, there's nothing that doesn't work, or there's an alternative to everything. No, there isn't. Netflix, as we mentioned, you just it's not an option. Yeah, say through the Amazon Video. Yeah, Amazon Video. People will say, well, just launch it in the VM. That's not Linux. <laughs> That's not a solution. Same with iTunes. iTunes doesn't work. There are lots of iTunes-like things, but if you need iTunes, want iTunes, you're not going to get it in Linux. Period. Why would you? I mean, ugh. Well, to rate and review our show, you have there you to go. do that through iTunes. But see, the new computer you bought with the Windows license, you fire up iTunes, you rate us, and then you wipe it off and install Linux. That's how you get around that one. <laughs> there you Sorry. go. All right, um, so- hopefully, though, hopefully though, we, we will see some more support for the Netflix and Amazon Video and places of that sort soon. Um, we could only hope. And it has also been true in the recent past that uh, video codecs, playing DVDs, things like that didn't work as well in Linux. Uh, But most of the things, uh, the major distributions right now, you can buy that right in the the software center. You can buy the Fluendo codecs that have pretty much anything you would want. Uh, So that problem has largely been solved. It is an extra step. And yes, it is something you have to pay money for in your free uh, OS. But let's look at it this way. You got a free OS and a free office suite and you got to pay 10 bucks for codecs. I think I think you can live with that. Yeah, that's a mute point anymore as I think so as well. Um I've never actually seen an issue with those codecs working or having a problem playing anything that I've downloaded or put into a a tray. So 
the, the you know I, the only thing I haven't done yet, and that's because I don't own one, is a Blu-ray drive. I don't know how well a Blu-ray drives work in Linux personally, but I would get, I would reason to guess that they work they work just as good as a DVD drive would. Um, as far as I know, there isn't a way to play Blu-rays in Linux. In Linux, somebody may correct me on that. But I think at the current time, it's not doable. Well, uh, chat room, let me know if I'm wrong on that. The last time I tried it, it wasn't doable. Yeah, Nightstar says VLC is working on it. There are a lot of people working on it. Nobody's cracked it yet. Um, eh, keyword, yet. Yeah. Uh, of course, ho- okay. hopefully, they don't, hopefully they don't get chased down as hard as the DVD guys did when they broke the DVD codec. <laughs> DVD John. Well, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> it's because they didn't come up with a legal way to do it. Their solution was to break the encryption. Um, and right, I think, right. I th- that was the easier call. Yeah, I think the problem is that nobody is willing to let the Blu-ray codec, because you, you have to pay for that, right? And I would pay for a Blu-ray license if I wanted to watch Blu-ray on my thing, because it can't be more than, you know, let's say, 30 bucks. Um, yeah, but I'd the pay issue for it. is, once you put that out in the open source community, um, it's going to be hacked, and they're scared of that, and they want to protect their Blu-ray-ness. Um, yeah. And so the, it's not that it's not, it's not that people don't want to pay for it, although that's part of it. It's that people, um, don't want to build it. It's same with the, the drivers, the video drivers. They don't want to make open source drivers because they're afraid their proprietary sequels, secrets will leak out if they do. Yeah. And that's the reason Netflix isn't on Amazon, on Netflix. It's because they don't want anybody, you know, copying the, the stuff as it streams. So there's the, <laughs> the Linux users have a reputation for being, uh, wanton thieves and i can't say that it's a wrong reputation frankly yeah unfortunately Um, so that's why certain things like blu-rays and netflix uh are um slow in coming to linux yeah but you know that's that's just because it, it takes long to get that stuff out anyway in general at least that's how i always feel right Okay, I, I think we're going to end it there. That was a, a well-rounded discussion. We didn't hit everything, but we hit the big ones. Um, you can do so much with Linux. The, there, the list of things you can't do is so small, and yet people fixate on that small list of things. Um, yeah. And they miss out on the you know all the stuff we talked about last week, why use Linux. There's so many reasons to use Linux. Uh, and and people miss out on those because they laser like focus on the few things you can't do. And and you know, here's the a list key. of things you can't do in Windows is pretty long too. Right. And the I would throw a caveat out there: if you're going to spend as much money on Linux as you do on Windows, that list shrinks. True. Absolutely. So you know you're like you think well I can't have fo- I can't have adobe cs4 or you know cs5 or 15 or whatever it is well but if you're going to spend that kind of money then you know there are linux programs out there that do cost money that do more than the free ones so you know again you're going to you might not spend the money on the on the software but you spend the money on the hardware that does the same thing that the software does in windows so it doesn't you know when you throw in the money 
when you factor in the amount of money that you're spending to get your Windows machine to do that, the list becomes a lot smaller on things that Linux can't do. And that's something that is never mentioned that um, I can recall. Good call. Good call. Um, and that's true. If there, You can throw money at almost every one of these problems that we've mentioned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nightstar in the chat room says, if you spend as much time playing with Linux as you do bashing it, you'd learn to like it. Well, that's a true statement as well. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our link of the week, Seth. Um, Superman's got issues. Yeah, this was a, uh, I came across this and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, the link is too long to mention the link, but what happens, what this group did is they took characters based on the movies. Now these are not based on like comic book characters, but comic book characters that have come out in the movies, such as Superman and they did like Batman and Catwoman and the Hulk. And they kind of just summed up what their issues were. And then they talked to a psychologist about, and they said, you know, Hey, what would you suggest for these issues? And of course the psychologist qualified it and said, you know, I wouldn't make any basis without having spend time, uh, you know, interviewing the patient for myself. So, but they said, um, then they went off to listen, like, for example, patient name CK, uh, raised by loving parents, discovers in adolescence that he was adopted through a traumatic experience that showcases his otherness. Both his biological parents, who are not American, are dead. Feelings of alienation increase as he discovers special abilities he has are related to his biological parents and their birthplace, the latter of which is no longer a viable travel destination. It goes on from there, and then the doctor replies with, um, and again, just kind of her overview of what the diagnosis would be. And so you can follow this um, article and you can read it. And there was one I had to think about and I didn't recognize right away by the initials, but once I started reading it, I was able to figure it out. But I just thought it was cool and interesting with my background in counseling degree in college. I just enjoyed reading it. So I thought everyone else would like it. It's not as funny as some of my previous ones, but I think it's cool nonetheless. Yeah, I'm going to have fun reading it over. That's going to be fun. I don't I don't recognize SK. Maybe that's a Selena Kyle. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Catwoman. Okay. Catwoman. Yeah. That's the that's not a character in my universe Uh, right but she was in the movies and they uh they did the movies uh you know because there's conflicting story arcs in the comics so they did just the movies yeah it'll be fun to have that in my uh my list of things to read while in the john (laughs) (laughs) you have a special tablet for the john just for that no, I I just print them out on dead trees, and then oh, they just and then sit in the in the side bin. <laughs> I, I, I'm never mind. <laughs> you're gonna go. Gonna, you're gonna I was, go. <laughs> I was gonna go there, and then I decided not to. So I will simply say, if you would like to uh, send us your feedback on this show or anything else, um, feel free to do that at uh, uh, elementop.com. Use the contact us button at the top of the page. Send us an email, edl at elementop.com, or use the uh, voicemail widget right at the top of the page, or give us a call at 559-IMOP anywhere in the North American continent, and uh, you will be good to go there. We would love to have you on the show. And apparently next week, I get the week off. 
um, because Chris says next week's show is the meme show. So uh, these two guys that. will be doing the show. <laughs> did, did Seth do that? Okay. Um, yeah, I put that in there based on our earlier conversation. No, actually, what should be next week <laughs> is the guest who is supposed to be here this week. Hopefully, he's uh, um, going to be able to be with us. Uh, I, I should say he is in the UK, so uh, we will start recording at around midnight his time. So um, when he called and said I had a scheduling conflict, uh, it wasn't that he wasn't available to record now. It was that he had to get up early the next morning, uh, which is a reasonable reason for him not to be here. So uh, also, if you have somebody you'd like us to interview or, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, step up and let us know. You can do all of that over at elementop.com. And we uh, challenge you, challenge you to find people. Ha ha ha. We appreciate you listening to yet another seven and a half hour ebook uh, in the form of this show. And uh, uh, we look forward to you coming back next week when we hope to break the 24 hour barrier. Uh, <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. Nobody else is laughing, but I am. And that's okay. I laugh. Uh, well, my network lag, I think, cut out. You just couldn't tell it. Uh, Chris, Seth, thanks for being with me. As always, listener out there, you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you, the guy with the headphones. Thank you for being a listener, and we hope to see you next week. And for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Mix. Like so.